Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Melissa Parrish. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by senior analyst Shannon Germain Farraher to discuss the role of technology in clinician burnout. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So maybe I'm stating the obvious. When you go to the doctor, when you go to the office in healthcare today, there's a lot of tech around, right? You don't need to be an analyst to, to know that, but maybe you can give us a little lay of the land here. What is the current state of tech in clinical settings? Already, this is like the hardest question I'll probably be presented <laughs> with today, but the, the current state of tech in clinical settings, quite frankly, can be fairly hard to evaluate for a number of reasons. And I'll break it down, and I do have an answer <laughs> for this for this question, but some of the contributing factors can be um, variables. So um, it may it, what may contribute to the state of tech is uh, leadership, um, uh, interest in innovation, mm-hmm. and their role. You know, they're often spearheading uh, these uh, decisions. Um, it can also depend on um, resources within the health system, so financially and also tech-related uh, tech talent, for example. And then there can also be other factors like unionization. Mm-hmm. That can all literally impact the state of tech um, within health systems. And I've spoken to tech leaders, and then I've spoken to frontline clinicians, both physicians and nurses, and um Often there's a disconnect between what one thinks they are doing and the actual experience of those frontline workers. Now, in some ways, we're seeing that healthcare organizations are really progressive. Again, that leadership role has a big uh, impact on how progressive these uh, some organizations are. And then in the same breath, even in these organizations, we're seeing a lot of inconsistent experiences among patients mm-hmm. and among employees. That is very complex. And one of the reasons is that healthcare in general is just siloed. One department literally operates differently than another department. And so a lot of times decisions around technology aren't made with the idea of scalability. And um, it's more to meet a need and to me to me now, and not really thinking about, okay, let's meet this need today, but how is this technology gonna be agile enough to also evolve with business needs for tomorrow? As a practicing nurse, I can't tell you how many times I've used a piece of technology on the floor at the bedside thinking, this doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. Is this even capturing the data that is needed? Um, Most of it is manual for a lot of clinicians. And we're seeing a change there, which is great. Now, in terms of the different types of technology used in the clinical setting, um, my research looked at technology that is um, that specifically helps clinicians with the productivity, uh, that is um, scalable, and that proves some sort of ROI for the health system. It doesn't just meet uh, you know, the ROI, but it really has to actually help the clinician um, in their clinical workflow. Mm-hmm. There are so many types of tech, a few just the roll off, you know, the EHR, um, IV pumps, ventilators, uh, robotics, ambient intelligence solutions. There's a whole slew of them. And um, as we can we can touch upon, I did focus on a few 
in my research just to narrow down and see what is really progressive today and uh, really meets the needs of providers. It's interesting, though, because you're talking about all the different ways that technology can and should impact the healthcare industry, and there's that continuum. I mean, I suppose you could you could argue it's like all B two B to C companies, but the the risk uh, of doing it poorly is so much worse when you're talking about uh, healthcare healthcare organizations. Because if you can improve the efficiency and the productivity of doctors and nurses, uh, you should improve patient outcomes. But uh, if the one happens and the other doesn't then that's an argument against innovation. Or if you have improved patient experiences through technology, but actually made it harder for the clinicians to do their work, that probably gets in the way of future investment as well. Does that seem seem right based on your research or am I overcomplicating things? No, I don't think you're overcomplicating things. Um, So many decisions in healthcare surrounding tech are made without the proper vetting process and inclusion of clinicians. There's these higher-ups who um, are very excited, who um, look at technology as, as potential and opportunity, and rightfully so, but so often do they forget the users of that technology. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what I write about, too, is adoption of that technology and successful adoption. I mean, there's been this in 2023. There's been it was the year for me of AI hype. I attended hymns in early earlier in the year, and you couldn't have one conversation with any vendor, or healthcare organization, payer provider, without talking about Gen AI. And in March of last year, Gen AI was you know um, it wasn't like it was a stone's throw away. There were a few potential use cases, but everybody spoke like what they had was tomorrow's solution Mm -hmm. to everybody's problem. And already you're thinking about who attends a a HIMSS conference, right? Uh, Progressive, innovative thinkers, leaders of these companies, but not boots on the ground clinicians. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so it's not the people who are who are using the thing that uh, that are being exposed to it early. It's so it's so interesting. But what is driving the investment in tech? I am very confused by your comment around clinicians are not part of the either feedback loop or input system in 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 tech investments. Yeah. So what can you just unpack that a little bit? That is not Why? how it worked on Grey's Anatomy when they switched <laughs> to the tablets. That's all I'm saying. Great reference. So now that I know where I'm starting from. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, uh, just some perspective here. Over the past four years, healthcare. Organization leaders spent up to $40 billion on AI specifically in healthcare. So healthcare organization leaders are bullish. They're excited. They see opportunity. And like I said, rightfully so. Historically, healthcare, I don't know how to say this politely. Um, Healthcare is a fraternal uh, industry. Um, 
It doesn't historically mix well with business. All we know, we know that's that's changed. There are now more MDs with MBAs and nurses like myself with MBAs. So, so we're seeing changes there. However, that's not historically how healthcare is is run. There's always a disconnect between business now technology and then the actual clinical care. So, it just happens that uh, they haven't always been brought to the table to make those decisions. What we're seeing right now with all the excitement around AI is that we're seeing decision makers saying, oh, you, what can you, what what do you have? What tool do you have? Hmm, I wonder how I can apply that to, um, to my EHR or to uh, this problem or et cetera. Really what we want a healthcare organization to do is to um, approach these vendors or this, these um, yeah tech, tech vendors with the mindset of, okay, I know my problem. I know my mission. I know my vision. I know my consumers, my patients, and I also know my employees really well. Do you have what I need to help fix my problem? And that is not really the mindset that healthcare leaders have come to the table with. And that is changing, but that's a cultural change that runs deep. Um, and I think, you know, vendors also realize how important a responsible, healthy relationship is to build with a healthcare organization, especially health systems. They need to become part of their culture and understand who they are so that they can grow together. Um, and, and so I, I, I see things changing, but it's a work in progress. Well, and I think the importance of that work in progress continuing is sort of all around us. I, I'm remembering what you said uh, uh, at the very beginning of this podcast about um, unionization being one of the factors that is impacting the lay of the land in terms of what we're ta- what we're even talking about in terms of technology in clinical settings. And so as you're talking about this issue of, I mean, the idea that clinicians would not be included as key stakeholders in technology decisions is pretty shocking. But that already happened earlier this year when producers weren't including writers and actors in what were essentially technology decisions. And it led to massive strikes. Um, Because I think one of the most important things uh, that you talk about in this research that often gets lost in the conversation when we come back to healthcare is that there is a business here. People don't like to talk about that necessarily because it feels a little weird. Like health is, uh, is so much more than just a business. But decisions are being made without key stakeholders because of that severe division between the people who are delivering the care and the people who see it as a business. That that just, I mean, what happens if whole medical groups go on strike. What happens? Uh, nothing good, for sure. Exactly. So earlier this year, um, Kaiser Permanente experienced the largest nurses strike, clinician strike, because there were also yeah. pharmacists and MDs involved. In that. It hit over uh, multiple states. I don't want to guess, at least three or four states, California being the most impacted. Over 70,000 clinicians uh, went on strike for, I believe, three days. Now, Kaiser leadership was saying, well, this won't impact 
patient care. We will have contractors and temporary, and we'll, we'll close <clears throat> we'll close our urgent care settings. And I thought, oh my gosh, if you're closing your urgent care setting, that's going to impact patient care. <laughs> also, I've been a temporary, I've been a travel nurse. Um, you hit the ground running in a way that you don't when you are a full-time employee somewhere. So that's the reality of, um, you know, unionization is making those, uh, creating demands, getting higher pay, getting better, um, uh, safer um, uh, resources, uh, safer working environments, and um, providing more, or rather, uh, rather uh, more quality care to their patients. So should we talk about what are some of the implications here of, you know, the conversation, right? The investments being made, but without clinicians being involved. And what is that resulting in? You know, um, I'll, sh- I'll reflect once more on a personal, my, just my personal experience in general. As a nurse uh, working on a very busy post-op cardiac surgical floor, um, one of the most important things you can do for your patient in recovery within 24 hours is getting them up and walking and having them ambulate. So that's my office is a is a, a, a unit. It you know anytime you've probably visited a sick friend or family member, been a patient yourself, if you walk in the hallway of a nursing unit, you'll notice that there's um, spare beds, extra wheelchairs. Uh, extra chairs, and then there's portable EKG machines, portable uh, IV pumps. Now, I need to get my patient up and walking. They probably have an IV pump and pole that they need to ambulate with on top of oxygen post-op. Tell me how I'm supposed to walk them effectively and safely throughout these hallways in my office space without it being an issue. So just, just you know, just very. That's a very boot in the ground example, but one where you just think about the physical design of both the technology and of the environment are not really conducive to help clinicians really provide the best quality and safest care that they can, and that's outside of the technology itself. And um, does it actually work within the clinical workflow? Um, if it's meant to just capture data, already you have to wonder if it's ideal. Um, I would say if we think back to the EHR implementation over the past 10 years, a lot of clinicians, rightfully so, are experiencing PTSD because they've worked through the exhaustive barriers of documentation. It was primarily designed without clinician feedback, but to collect data, not necessarily designed uh, to fit optimally into a a cardiac surgical workflow. And that sort of uh, presented many problems over the years. So it's hard for, I think, clinicians to think, okay, great, new technology, and be excited about it and jump on the opportunity where usually there's this like, I've heard it myself, I've been part of it, where you're sitting in a in-service and you're like, oh my gosh, all right, now I have to remember to do this. So um, I think, you know, poor design of the physical environment, of the technology, uh, 
and not including um, proper clinician input has been a problem. And as a result, we've seen inadequate tech adoption and wasteful uh, investment on behalf of the health system. I absolutely love your example of trying to get a patient to walk around after surgery, because I think it's so easy for us and for uh, hospital administrators and other in others in um, healthcare organizations to think of technology as uh, technology in clinical settings as. I don't, I don't know the best way to say it, the coolest examples of the things that you said at the beginning, right? Like robotics and, um, and the EHR and, and other things that, that are very, um, uh, I don't know, new and exciting and essentially the, the gen AI of, of healthcare tech. But, but you're right, just adding more stuff does not actually solve some of the biggest problems that clinicians have. I, I remember the when I um, uh, unfortunately broke my ankle for hilarious reasons, um, <laughs> and the nurses had to get me up and into a wheelchair, and it was like, it was like the Three Stooges because mm-hmm. somebody had to, there was like an advance guard that had to move everything out of the way <laughs> or they weren't going to be able to get me and my leg <laughs> into the, uh, into the, uh, into the nurse's area with, to teach me how to use the crutches. Um, tell and us more. And that's just an ankle, Melissa. I, I know, it's just an ankle. It's crazy. Um, tell us a little more about what kinds of solutions are we talking about that could really have... Um, have an impact on some of the things we've been we've been discussing today. What solutions are there? I will uh, just very high level touch on the four that I included in my uh, research, just because they were just because I focused on them. But uh, the first is uh, ambient intelligent solutions. Um, essentially, that's a cloud-based speech recognition tool that helps to leverage natural language processing um, to help document with patient encounters. It can also be contactless contactless sensors that help, um, that can censor uh, patient, rather human, movement. But it can be great using it uh, remotely to see if a patient fell or if a patient has been turned in two hours, things like that. I get a lot of questions on the ambient intelligence solutions. Lots, lots of good stuff out there uh, happening, especially uh, using Gen AI. Then there's clinical communication and collaboration platforms. These tend to come in the form of a mobile device that can be brought, uh, well, put in your, your back pocket so it can be brought to the bedside. You can access uh, the EHR, um, look at uh, MedDoc on it. Um, you can text, call, you can order food, um, lots of um, use cases there. And I believe most health systems in the United States have some sort of clinical collaboration and communication tool that at the very least nurses are using. But, but you know, um, even better if um, physicians and, you know, the kitchen and the pharmacists are also using it as well. Uh, robotics. When we think about robotics, 
uh, the first thing uh, that comes to mind, I, th- I think for most people at this point, are surgical robots. They've been around for a while, and now there's some new innovation regarding uh, the use of uh, VR, which is very neat. Um, but also uh, robotics, uh, there's a nurse they call it like a nurse helper. I don't like love that term, uh, but really, it's it's really a, a robot on wheels that can go throughout a hospital and deliver meds, food, um, lots of things throughout. You know, using AI uh, to deliver uh, lots of lots of different items, um, and then also it can do anything from clean uh, laundry bins and run those laundry dirty laundry bins to the Laundry unit, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And then more generally, I touched on Internet of Medical Things. And this is sort of a catch-all, to be honest with you. But I think it's really important because um, it essentially is is any device. Uh, it's inclusive of virtual care, remote patient monitoring, uh, virtual command centers. It's just a more robust uh, term um, for uh, technology that is connected and is able to um, exchange information that is interoperable. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the AIS. The ambient intelligent yeah. solutions. Um, I mentioned two use cases. The first one is the automated documentation, and that is really gaining traction because of Gen AI. And the reason is is because for every, gosh, I'm forgetting right now, but for every uh, patient that a physician sees, there's 30 minutes of documentation more or less that falls up. So to help uh, clinicians, um, primarily right now it is being used by physicians to help them um, with documentation and decrease that time is just amazing, right there in and of itself. However, there's other benefits. It's essentially capturing the patient encounter. So, you, you know, you and I are speaking, and I don't have to be typing while you are talking. Mm-hmm. Also, um, the use of Gen AI is wonderful in that it can summarize the conversation, but only capture medically related data and leave out the conversation about how your mom is doing mm-hmm. and how your dog is, your new puppy. It'll leave all that out and just incorporate what is medically appropriate. And some vendors now are uh, including, um, or rather, uh, pulling in uh, vital signs, uh, different medications that are relevant to the conversation, uh, able to follow up with making referrals. Um, it's evolving. But the basic use case of automated documentation, I think, is very impactful right now and is helping with burnout. I imagine it also uh, reduces the likelihood of errors too um, because, I don't know, I think it's something that uh, people don't necessarily like to admit. It's kind of like like driving, um, right? Autonomous vehicles, they don't like to admit that actually the computers might be better at driving than we are. Um <laughs> I think in some cases, my guess would be physicians and nurses not having to take notes themselves and not typing when you're talking to them would be amazing. It probably, it it doesn't just mean that they're spending more time focusing on the patients and less on doing paperwork. It might actually make the paperwork more accurate. 
that is being proved. I'm so happy that you brought that up, Melissa, because um, uh, primary care physicians can see anywhere from like 15 to 20 patients a day. And while they're interacting with their patient, they're trying to remember all the important stuff. And how, if you're going from a 20-minute visit to a 20-minute visit to a 20-minute visit, and you're not really documenting during or immediately after, you are bound to miss detail. It's just part of human nature. And these ambient intelligent solutions is a nice stopgap in that respect. And it takes some of the pressure off so that the physician and or nurse can truly focus and be present and not sit there trying to think, okay, what else do I need to ask? Okay, I have to remember this. And instead, they can be truly engaged and present with the patient in that moment. They don't have to worry about keeping track of all these uh, details. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Are there new roles popping up? I mean, you just focused on like four areas of tech, but that's just the ones that you focused on, right? Like it's yeah. there, there's a, a swath of technology that's, you know, out there. And are healthcare organizations currently set up to understand, evaluate, um, be clear about what their use cases are and be better with communicating with their clinicians and folks on the, on the front line? Is this resulting in new roles kind of popping up for people to connect the dots between the business and um, the clinician experience and the patient experience? That's such a that's such a good question, Jen. Um, hmm. Yes, and I'm seeing um, bits and pieces of these, you know, the formation of these new roles. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> It's not just about having a tech team. It's not just about having a clinical team. It's not just about having a wellness team. Because that's so far <clears throat> up to this point what's kind of been, um, you know, a very disparate, very disparate system of collecting feedback, of uh, handling problems, of dealing with tech over here, and not really bringing it all together, not really bringing everybody to the table. Um, there's a new role uh, called the uh, chief wellness officer, and I just learned about this at a conference I was at. And I think it's both um, a wonderful role and an extremely challenging role to initiate. Somebody finally, <clears throat> to some extent, is going to go take ownership of uh, clinician well-being. Because if you really think about that, whose responsibility is it that a nurses feel uh, not burned out, not overstressed, appreciated versus uh, the clinicians, versus a pharmacist, versus uh, other admin uh, folks? So now there's somebody who is responsible. However, as was um, pointed, made clear during this conference, is that a chief wellness officer can be um, an easy target to point a finger to. So all of a sudden they are responsible for everything? Are they responsible for the long walk from the parking lot? Are they responsible for 
parking tools? Like, are they responsible for the food in the cafeteria? Where does this begin and end? And so um, the few folks I've talked to in this role have said, you've got to make very clear boundaries and you have to make them known because this can be a very lonely position to sit in. And at the same time, you have to be very strategic with creating partners and knowing everybody and knowing what is important to prioritize. Uh, so I think um, there's a lot of potential here with a chief, um, with health systems having a chief uh, wellness officer. I, I believe this role is not you, uh, not new outside of the industry, but within healthcare, it is fairly new, evolving. There's 120 in the United States as of uh, recently. So I think there's a lot of good things with this chief wellness officer. I know that they have, you know, resource issues trying to uh, ask for a decent budget because no budget will ever be enough. Um, and then there, there's others, there's other issues with this particular role. But it's wonderful that now somebody will take ownership of it, prioritize things that uh, are really impactful in, in terms of wellness. So, Shannon, it sounds like there are clear use cases for some really innovative technology and clear use cases for some some basics that need improvement. It also sounds like the challenges are many and very complicated. So tell us what the one piece of advice would be that you would give a healthcare leader who is facing these these issues, knows that they need to overcome it, but doesn't know where to start. That's a great question, Melissa. <clears throat> I would say um, don't feed into the hype, but know that you do have to experiment and be curious and make sure to have the right people at the table. I will just reiterate my point of healthcare leaders have to know their own employees. They have to know their own patients. They have to know their own problems, their own issues inside and out before they can try to solve them. So before they choose what technology, they should really say, what is the problem? What is my desired outcome? Who can help me get there? I think that's really, really uh, imperative with the current state of, uh, you know, this FOMO, which I'm now um, watching sort of trend into this FOMO, this fear of messing up, which is great. It means that healthcare leaders are approaching their problems in a more grounded logistical way, and they want to be strategic, and they want to be smart and responsible when it comes to AI and incorporating uh, technology. And then hopefully they are bringing the right folks to the table and keeping them involved throughout the entire process. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Shannon. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.